Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Something New. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast. My name's Lori. Hi, I am Trey. This is our first time doing this. So uh, as some of you might know me, I have another podcast called Stateside Madness, and we talk exclusively about the band Madness, which is one of my favorites. But uh, this one, we're getting a little different and kind of broadening things a little bit. And I am so excited, Trey, that you're doing this with me. I'm so excited that you asked me to do it with you. So uh, a little background for everybody, kind of what we're doing and how this came about. I've known Trey online since 2016. So what, it was just over six years now. Yep. And uh, we met through a number of the online 80s music communities, which we're both huge fans of. And this just kind of came about spontaneously the other night. Trey was posting a bunch of music videos on his Facebook page. And he's always got really, really good music on there. But for some reason, it was just really resonating with me on that night. And I just pulled him into Messenger and said, hey, how'd you like to do a podcast together? I had actually wanted, been wanting to do a podcast for some years now, but I just never met the right person I felt would be, you know, committed to doing it. And uh, you were, you know, let me say, you were always one of the main commenters on what I call my music tears. So when you messaged me and asked me, I, I, it was without hesitation. Well, cool. I'm so excited that you're doing this with me. And you really, you have just such an immense knowledge about music. And so what we're going to be doing for this podcast in general, talking about new wave music and starting back in the 80s, but also kind of moving into the 90s and and talk about uh, not just the history, but also kind of our history with it, right? Right. And the, the title that you had initially suggested to me, which I still think is really, really clever, was it all started with Duran Duran. And that's pretty much where it started with me. I, I heard Rio. I have an aunt that's about 10 years older than me. And she gave me a copy of it at the beginning of summer 82. It changed my life, literally. You know, that it was so different sounding than anything else that was out there my love for all things like new wave started with i think duran duran too and we'll talk about that and and how we kind of came to this music so we decided though we're, we're not going to use that for the name of the podcast so we decided on accelerated culture so it's a little bit more broad maybe it's a little more than just duran duran as much as we love them and then you suggested the topic for our first episode, Trey. So could you kind of let our listeners know what we're going to be discussing tonight? Well, basically, we're going to be covering the music of 1982. And that's when new wave music really began to pretty much take over the airways of American radio. Uh, you know, stuff like Journey, for example, was the popular thing at the time. And these other bands, mostly from England, 
though not solely from England, began to just kind of take over. And, you know, for a lot of people like me, it just literally changed our lives. It was so different, such different and unique music. And it was just a whole lot of fun to listen to. Now, Trey, do you want to tell our listeners where you're from? I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. So I imagine that the music scene in Augusta, Georgia in summer of 82 was, you know, you mentioned um, Journey. I imagine probably the, the popular music scene around that time was was more like album oriented rock and stuff. Right. I mean, yep. And in country music. Oh, right. Right. You know, we're in the we're in the sticks of Georgia. Oh, right. Well, so I'm in Chicago, grew up in uh, in the suburbs. And for at least for me growing up, you know, it's mostly what your parents listen to. And my parents, it was Journey, as you mentioned, um, Jackson Brown, the Eagles, 38 special. And, you know, that's that's OK. And I, my mom did have her little uh, Rod Stewart phase for a little while. And, you know, that's all okay, but uh, there comes a point, I think, in every teenager's life or preteen's life where we kind of have to find our own path, right? And I think our own music is a big, big part of our identity. Oh, for sure. Trey, you and I each picked, and now you were very specific, and you said summer of 1982. So I actually excluded some songs from the fall of 82 because they wouldn't have been out yet. But uh, we each kind of thought we'd come up with 10 songs from the summer of 82 that kind of formed who we are, I guess, maybe, for, for lack of a better better way to put it. I think that's a good way to put it right there. Okay. My younger sister was born on May 5th of 82. And it just kind of, you know, my parents just kind of threw me to the wayside. And so I just kind of sat in my room that whole summer and watched HBO and listened to the radio and just discovered all these great new bands just, you know, just from doing that. And, you know, I had been big into Kiss and I was getting, I was getting tired of that. And just, you know, all these bands were just right there waiting for me to discover them basically. Oh, wow. So uh, I assume then you're, you're the oldest. I am 12 years older than my younger sister. Okay. All right. So that, that tells us then you were 12 in the yep. summer of 82 and I was, <laughs> do I want to say I was eight. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that you got into this stuff at such a young age. Well, you know, that was one difference that you and I had talked about previously. You did not have access to MTV, but I did. And MTV for me was a game changer because it really broadened a lot of my my perspective. So most of the bands that I'm going to talk about today are bands that I discovered on MTV. Now, you mentioned to me earlier, you didn't have MTV where you are in Georgia, not in 82. We didn't get a, uh, unless you had satellite, you didn't have MTV here and they didn't put it on cable here until 1985. So my outlets were Radio 1990 on USA Network, Night Flight also on USA Network, and of course, video jukebox on hbo so that's actually where i saw a lot of these bands for the first time i had completely forgotten about the video jukebox on hbo i seem to remember in 82 tony basil's mickey was like every third song on the video jukebox on hbo 
I remember that. I remember yeah. seeing that video a million times. I think that was into that fall, late summer, fall. But yeah, I for sure remember that one. I think I'm pretty sure I had the 45. I know I had the 45 because I drove my mother nuts with it. So I think this is probably a good point then for us to to segue into our, our playlists here. So uh, Trey and I each picked 10 songs that we would have been listening to in the summer of 82. We're going to talk a little bit about them. We're going to play a little bit of them. You and I actually picked uh, songs by the same band for the, this first one here. So uh, the band, of course, is In Excess. And I'm going to start us off, I guess, with The One Thing, which is the first In Excess video that I remember seeing on MTV. It really struck a chord with me. To this day, In Excess is one of my favorite bands of all time. Um there's a wonderful podcast called In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. I want to give them a shout out. Uh, I do a lot of their social media promotion as well, but it's just been like a lifelong obsession for me. Let's listen to a little bit of The One Thing by In Excess. what do you think of the one thing it was actually the first video i saw by them myself and i saw it on radio 1990 and i just i loved it i went out i think i got a vinyl record it was the first thing i purchased and it was it's a fantastic album still to this very day which i've just realized it's turning 40 somewhere here soon isn't it or just has turned 40 yeah i think you're right i think you're right and that was produced by mark opitz who produced a, num a number of their albums, but Shabu Shaba was really like their first album that sounds to me like in excess. You know, the stuff that came before, they they actually started off as a ska band, which, you know, when, when we say that, a lot of times that blows people's minds. But I think Mark Opitz was the first person that was really able to capture the depth of their sound. You know, I think up until that point, their recordings maybe weren't faithful to their live performances, but on this album, you really get a feel for, for them and for who they are. You picked a song off this album too. I, indeed I did. So tell us the song that you picked off of Shabu Shabatre. My choice was Don't Change. And I can still clearly remember hearing that album for the first time. And it's the last track on the album and it just, that was the one I really loved. The whole album was great, but that song, I must have played it 2,000 times that summer, just over and over and over. You know what? I don't think I ever knew that video existed until the late 80s. So I don't have it in my head. You see what I mean? Yeah, it's it's the one where they shot it. I think they shot it inside an airplane hangar. Right, right. Yeah. And they're wearing the ridiculous clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tim's got like the <laughs> boiler suit on. 
I joked with my ex-wife once. I was like, you know, NXS is a great band, but they sure did make some poor fashion choices at times. <laughs> the parachute pants and all that stuff. So, so tell us more about Don't Change. Or, or no, maybe we should listen to it. What do you think? Let's let's run it first, and then I'll talk about it. Okay. Okay, so that was Don't Change by NXS. So, Trey, talk to us. Okay, so that's the last song on that LP. And uh, the whole album was terrific, but that was a song that I just absolutely loved. And uh, that's probably the song that made me love the band. That's, that's, they quickly became one of my favorite bands, and they've been, been that ever since. And that traditionally is the song that they would play on their encores to close out their concerts. Now, there's some exceptions to that. Like, they didn't play it at Wembley in 91, the Live Baby Live show. But um, did you ever get an opportunity to see them live, Trey? Yes, in the summer of 88 in Columbia, South Carolina. Oh, I'm so jealous. I never got to see them yes. live. Oh, no. I think it was, I think by that point, they were calling it the Calling All Nations Tour. Because the kick tour, you know, they kept extending it and adding right. adding legs to it. it. It was a fantastic show. They closed it with Don't Change, of course. Oh, you must have been in heaven. I didn't really expect them to be that great live. And they just completely went off. It, it was amazing. And Michael Hutchins is such a great front man. He was just running all over the stage. And, of course, the ladies were going absolutely bonkers at him. And, you know, it was a great show. Well, I got to say that the video for Don't Change, that's what cemented my crush on the drummer, John Ferris. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I am so madly in love with John Ferris. You have no idea. <laughs> so my my husband has just kind of had to accept that if I ever meet John Ferris, you know, I've got a I've got a hall pass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How old is he now? How old are they? What are, John? Are they yeah, are they 60 yet? You know, his birthday is uh, in two days. It's August oh, wow. 10th, 1961. So... 61. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. And he's the he's the baby of the band, right? Who is he? Yeah, he's the youngest of the three Ferris brothers. The oldest is Tim Ferris. Tim Ferris and Kirk Pengilly were friends in high school. But I think Gary Beers actually is older than Tim, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and actually they started off as a band called the Ferris Brothers originally. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I'm glad that they changed the name because that just sounds yeah, like a... Me too. It sounds like a bad country and Western band. It does, or just a bar band. That, and that's pretty much what they were at first, so... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now moving on, uh, the next song I chose, which was ubiquitous in the summer of 82 don't you want me by the human league 
Let's listen to a little bit of it. chose this particular song people who who know me maybe don't know this story when i went to girl scout camp one of the camp counselors that year was absolutely obsessed with the human league and this tape is pretty much all we listened to at girl scout camp that summer all of the songs i thought were really really great i was really surprised but obviously don't you want me is the one that they're best known for what do you think of don't you want me i loved it you know, the video was just cool. They looked cool. The song was just amazing. You know, the, the, the whole synthesizer thing just it made me think this was like the music of the future. Yeah, I can I can see that. And, and I think that's something that's going to come up a lot this episode, too. Yeah, for sure. I guess the story is so Phil Oakey, obviously, the, the singer, had met Joanne Catherall and Susan Ann Sully when they were dancing in a club. And he just liked their look and invited them to join the band. And the rest, as they say, is history. I believe Martin Ware was in the band at one time, too, wasn't he? I'm not real sure on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was, but I don't know if he had left by that time or not. I, I know they went through several incarnations before they settled on their, I guess you could say, classic lineup. Right. Okay, so what's your next song? My next song is... Is it Yazoo or Yaz? Well, see, that's what I wanted to ask you, because I think it's Yazoo in the UK and Yaz in the United States. I think it was one of those copyright things, kind of like the Mission UK, where the Mission UK in America and just the Mission Overseas, for example. Okay, well, what uh, what song did you choose by Yaz slash Yazoo? It was Situation. And I can't say for sure where I actually first heard this one. I think somebody made me a mixtape and it was on there. But I was just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. You know, so another one of those of many songs that year. That was another one that just grabbed me and pulled me right in. All right. Well, let's listen to a little bit. All righty. I got to tell you, the hardest part for me with that song was finding 45 seconds because so much is happening in that song. You know, it's like whatever section of the song I choose, 
I feel like I'm omitting something important. You know what I mean? She has such an amazing voice. And that's Alison Moyet? Yeah, and she's still doing it to this day. I was looking up some footage of her singing, I think, from 2019, and she can still wail like that. And she's, I mean, she's got to be early 60s. So when you put the song on your list, I don't know it by name. To me, it's Move Out, you know, because that's the chorus that gets repeated over and over. But yeah, so the name that's actually Situation, and I know I've heard that in a lot of clubs. And you know, what's another one? I, I actually never saw the video until later in the 80s. I don't think you know, I've ever seen the video. I believe there are two different videos for the song. I think it's one of those where they had an American version and a UK version. Which gotcha. That's something that's going to come up a lot, too, over the course of this show. Oh, yeah. A lot of these bands that we're going to be picking here are British bands. This is like the second British Invasion and up until very recently, I mean, like the last two or three years, my understanding of the term new wave was it was that second British invasion. But I've since been corrected that, you know, like, for example, Blondie is considered new wave and they're not British. I was about to say the cars. Mm -hmm. And even NXS is considered new wave. And obviously they're Australian. So so that's been something that's been a little tricky for me to wrap my brain around is, you know, well, what exactly makes it new wave? How, how would you define new wave? I think the safest thing to say is heavy use of synthesizers. Okay. And uh, I think the embracement of music video was a big tenet of that type of music. Men wearing makeup. And makeup. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. And, uh, as Michael Hutchins's character says in the miniseries, uh, Never Tear Us Apart. No, is it Never Tear Us Apart? Yeah, I Never Tear Us Apart. He says, Ponzi haircuts. <laughs> 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 right? Were, there's a scene in the miniseries, and, and to our listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, you should see it. It's really good. But Michael Hutchins says to their uh, manager, CM Murphy, he says, are you going to make us get Ponzi haircuts? Because they're talking about videos for MTV. And he goes, you already have Ponzi haircuts. So, but speaking of the British New Wave, the next band that I chose, Spandau Ballet. So in the United States, they're known for one song, right? True. Right. And I wanted to pick a different song. It is a really nice ballad. It's very well done. It's I can see why it's their most popular song, but they're more than that. So I want to play chant number one, I don't need this pressure. Chant number one by Spandau Ballet. Didn't get as much airplay here in the U.S., but I really like that one because I think you can really pick up the, the kind of soulfulness of Tony Hadley's voice in that one. Were you familiar with that one, Trey? 
I had no no idea who they were in 1982. Oh, okay. All right. Well, to be fair, eight years old was kind of a blur for me. I mean, there are some I can tell you for certain, like Duran Duran. I can tell in excess. I can tell you for certain I knew who they were. Some of these I might have come to a few years later. So I think we're just coming at it from different perspectives, and that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm sticking to stuff I heard that year, you know. Right. It's okay if you want to take a take, have a different take on that. But anyway, the thing about Spandau Ballet is in the UK that there was like this rivalry between Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran. I was very, I was aware of that. Yeah. Which seems kind of weird to us because, I mean, most Americans would consider Spandau to be a one hit wonder, but. Actually, until later in the 80s, I, I thought of them as that. I had no idea they had. Yeah. You know, they had a pretty good career over there. And they are a great band. Don't get me wrong. I just was never very familiar with them back then, besides from the hit. Yeah, they, they didn't they didn't get a lot of airplay. And I seem to remember there was another song that I did see on MTV by them that was like, it goes, Communication, Let Me Down. I know the song. Do you remember I know that the one? Song. Yeah. Okay, so what song did you pick next, Trey? My song is The Metro by Berlin which is Berlin is one of my favorite bands. And this song, I hate to keep repeating myself, but it's so futuristic sounding. It was, it's, there was nothing like that out there at this period in time. And it was just, you know, the drum machine and the synthesizer line. Actually, does anyone play a, play like a guitar or a bass or, you know, a stringed instrument on this song? I don't think there is, but hey, we should listen to it, shouldn't we? Yes, let's play it. I saw this one on HBO as well, on Video Jukebox, and obviously Terry Nunn caught my eye, but the, like I said, the music was just so different. I had not heard anything like that ever. I had no idea how they were making this music. I, I mean, I, I think I had a basic understanding of what a synthesizer was, and I knew that's what they were using, but it was just so different, and it was so great. It was It blew me out of the water. Yeah, and boy, you want to talk about a song that's really kind of evocative of a time and place. And yeah, I hear this, and yeah, it takes me right back to 82. Right, and you you know, you get forward into the 80s when a lot more of the alternative stuff started getting big. You could really hear an influence of them in a lot of those bands. Yeah, and I think Berlin maybe doesn't get as much credit as maybe they should. I mean, Terry Nunn has a really, really beautiful voice. Not always top of mind, I think, when people are talking about, like, 80s new wave alternative acts, you know? They do seem kind of forgotten, and that's very sad to me. They put out a couple of very terrific albums, and, of course, they had their big hit from Top Gun, which that, you know... 
That's that the makes, one song of theirs I don't like, believe it or not. I love it, but you know, it broke the band up. And I guess we'll get into that when we, if we get to 86. And Okay. All right. So that'll be an interesting discussion. Yes. So on the subject of synth, my next song is by a synth pioneer god, Thomas Dolby. Now, I think most American audiences will recognize him from She Blinded Me With Science. But here's another one of his songs that I think is equally good. It's called Europa and the Pirate Twins. Dolby is just this amazing mad genius. Okay. So not only was he a performer songwriter, he started off as a backup musician for Lena Lovitch. I don't know if you remember her. I do. I I did not know that. Yeah. If you go back and you look at some of her early performances on top of the pops, you'll Mm -hmm. see Thomas Dolby's playing on stage with her. Wow. I had no idea. He also invented polyphonic synth technology for cell phones so the polyphonic ringtone that you know when we all had our nokia phones back in like what early 2000s that had all these fancy ringtones that was his technology so i imagine that he has made himself rich on the patents on that he's also a professor at johns hopkins university i was gonna say he's some sort of a teacher too isn't he yeah so He leads Peabody's Music for New Media program at Johns Hopkins. So, I mean, he really is this absolute kind of mad genius. He is. Um, I read his book, uh, Speed of Sound, his memoir, which I loved. And he actually talks a little bit about the story behind Europa and the Pirate Twins. When he was in France, he met a French woman named Elizabeth. And he had a, a very short affair with her. And they used to stay awake at night and make up silly fairy tales. And he says in his book, we spent the last few nights of that humid summer under the sheets of Elizabeth's bed with a flashlight, making up fantastical children's stories in broken franglais. But sadly, our love affair was not to last. When they they parted and they went their separate ways, she says to him, but one day we will be the pirate twins again in her like broken French accent. And so the whole story and, and now he says in the beginning, you know, she was 12, he was 14. Obviously they were older than that. I think he was in his twenties, but otherwise uh, it's really kind of sweet when you know that backstory and that there's this, this romance, uh, this intercultural love story there. That is a fantastic backstory. And I, I I would have never guessed. 
You want to read? I I don't know if you're a big reader, Trey, but his. I am uh, a big reader. Oh, you need you need to read this. It's a it's a really really good book. As a matter of fact, that might be something that we might want to talk about from time to time. Is like different music biographies and stuff. Well, I was just gonna say I've sadly never totally explored his catalog, and that is something they need to sit down and do one day. The the few things I've heard by him over the years, they've all been excellent. I think my favorite of all his stuff is the map of the floating city which was actually something that was created as part of an online community. If you read about how this whole thing evolved, he was really one of the first people to embrace the internet, not just as a means of communication for like scientists or something like that, but like for, for musicians and fans to be able to interact and to create together. And uh, it's really, really cool. I had the opportunity to see him live several years ago here in Chicago and it was a very intimate venue, and it was just so absolutely cool. He is absolutely one of my heroes. Was it just him and his keyboards? Or yes. Wow, that's pretty yes. cool. Yes, it was. It was. It, I mean, it was just this little, uh, little bar, and I mean, you're like literally feet away from him. It was just so amazing. I saw Howard Jones like that once. He called it acoustic, but it was just him and his synthesizers, and he nailed it. It was great. Oh, that's cool. All right, so what's your next song, Trey? My next pick is Wishing by Flock of Seagulls. It's not the way you look, it's not the way that you smile. Although there's something to them. It's not the way you have your hair, it's not that certain style. That could be that for you. And again, it's just so futuristic. And this video looks like a science fiction movie, and that grabbed my attention immediately. I think I should note here that 1982 is also known for several large or huge science fiction movies, such as Star Trek II, Blade Runner. You know, so I, I, I was into those movies, and this just totally added to it. This new music that I was hearing just, just wowed me, you know. I want to add to that a little bit because, you know, we were talking about 82. So I had seen at the drive-in theater in 82, it was a double feature. It was E.T. and Heartbeeps, which was a oh, movie. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember with Andy Kaufman? I totally do. And boy, I seem to remember I liked Heartbeeps better than E.T. Now, granted, I was eight years old, but on the subject of like futuristic sci-fi stuff. That's a a pretty forgotten movie but it's a great movie if everybody listening go check it out if you haven't seen it it's uh andy kaufman and is it bernadette peters i think it was that was one of those movies that tanked in theaters and then hbo got a hold of it and kind of made it a hit you know okay so we've just listened to flock of seagulls you know for me it has to be the 12 inch version of this song which runs like eight minutes long and it just has this Massive, I don't know what you would call it, a synthesizer solo starting about five minutes in and just goes to the end of the song. 
Uh, of course, their, their their previous song I ran was a bigger hit, but this one this one just really spoke to me more than that one. Now, if memory serves, weren't they like hairdressers or something? Mike Score was indeed a hairdresser. You know, that that was his uh what he did for a living while he played in a band in the evening, and they took their name from a book. The book is called Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I was going to say, I don't know a thing about the book, but they took their name from that. Boy, I want to say it was like a, a big, like, 70s counterculture thing. Probably would have never, ever heard of this book had it not been for this band, so. There's definitely a story tradition of bands taking their names from books. I mean, Steely Dan comes to mind. I thought that was named after a, uh, a, a lady's device. William S. Burroughs, Naked Lunch. It, that was the name of the lady's device in, in the book, yeah. Oh, oh, I thought it was, okay. Yeah. I thought it was an actual thing you could go to a store and buy. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that came from that. And like Haircut 100, that came from A Clockwork Orange, right? Oh, I had no idea on that one either. So uh, anything else you want to say about Flock of Seagulls? You know, I have an interesting story about them and that they came and played in my hometown of Augusta in 1994. Ooh. And they were booked by a radio station, which was called Channel Z. Apparently, they had lied to the band and told them there was a stage in the place they were playing, but it was actually just a dance club. Oh. So they had them set up on the floor, the dance floor, and play the set. And they were not very happy about it. And they only ended up playing about six songs and then storming off. Oh, wow. Yeah. Channel Z, I'm pretty sure, even took them off of their playlists and everything. It was it was kind of a, you know, big deal. Oh, I mean, wow. They, they literally stormed off, took their stuff, and, you know, left. Which irritated me, because I wanted to talk to them, or at least Mike score. Yeah, it was horrible. I was, I was so let down. Oh. All right, well, uh, moving on on our playlist, then. Uh, another classic 80s song. I actually want to want to quote a friend of mine here who just happened to post on his Facebook, my friend Aldo, he's a professor at the college where I teach. And he and his partner, Dean, have said that this song is the most John Hughes song not featured in a John Hughes movie. That's a very good way to put that song. Yes. And the song I'm talking about for our listeners is I Melt With You by Modern English. Let's listen. Moving forward, using all my breath Making love to you was never second best I saw the world rushing all around your face Never really knowing it was always mesh and lace I'll stop the world and melt with you And it's getting better all the time There's nothing you and I won't do I'll stop the world and melt you You know, this is one of those songs, Trey, that when I hear it, it's impossible for me to not get up and dance. You know, it just instantly shifts my mood. And it's just such a such a beautiful well-written pop song 
but then you know you see these interviews where they're talking about it's about a nuclear war and you know the melt with you is you know the nuclear blast just kind of you know obliterating it and the the lovers are fusing together it's really kind of a, a dark dark story when you think about it but just such a freaking awesome song it's I, you know if there was a top 10 best songs of the 80s i think this one would definitely be on it and it was one of those songs that had a lot didn't they re-release it in like 88 or 89 i think they did i think yeah, they did it, yeah it, it, it kept on going and going and going yeah well it's it's a really really good song though it is it is so what did you pick next my next song is Thompson Twins, In the Name of Love. Oddly, the Thompson Twins kind of started out as a dance band, and later on in the 80s, they would kind of move into more of a new wave sound. But this song also just had a really futuristic vibe to it to me, and it just really caught my ear, and I, I you know, I loved it, still love it to death to this very day. You know, I was actually surprised to see it on your playlist, it, it having come out in 82, because I know it from Ghostbusters, which was in 84. It, it sure is. Yeah, so I had no idea that this song came out in 82. It, it sure did. And, it, you know, our top 40 station we had here, WBBQ, was playing it a lot when it was out. I ended up buying, I don't think I ever purchased the album that it was on, but I know I had the 12-inch single, which was a big thing back then with all the bands. And these bands were real big on 12-inch singles and dance remixes of their songs. You know, that that's also one of those other tenets of new wave music was the 12-inch single. Okay, so next up on my list then, Trey, I had to put some madness on my list because you know. I knew you were going to do that. I am the co-host of Stateside Madness, which is a podcast that is specifically about the band Madness. And Madness were one of those bands that I discovered on MTV that I just immediately fell in love with. Specifically in 82, the song that was getting a lot of airplay on both sides of the pond was House of Fun.
course, for me, my mind immediately goes to the the video that's, you know, shot in the theme park with the, the roller coaster and everything. You know, I confess, I did not know until my 40s what this song was actually about. What is the song about? It's about a, a teenage boy trying to buy condoms. Oh, wow, I had no idea. That's, yeah. That's... You know, and he, he doesn't want to come right out and say it. So he's at the, the drugstore and he's like, you know pack of party poppers that pop in and out oh party hats with the colored tips and the woman behind the counter is just not getting what he's saying and she's saying <laughs> uh, you know this is a chemist not a joke shop go go to the house of fun yeah so that just totally sailed over my head as a youngin but i still love the song i still love madness my introduction to them was one step beyond which I think was earlier in the 80s, wasn't it? Or was it the same year? No, that was uh, 70, 79, I think. Was it really? So yeah. Have, wow. That's another one I saw on Video Jukebox. So it mm -hmm. must have been 79 or 80 when I saw it. So They were, uh, especially when MTV started. Now, I know you weren't watching MTV. Right. But they were so desperate to have video content to show right. that they were digging up all the old stuff and, and the one step beyond video and, and other, other madness videos at the time. And madness wasn't the only band that they were doing this to, but that's actually, I think how they caught on over here. I don't think that anybody over here would have heard of them if not for music videos. You know, I got more familiar with them in the mid-80s when I kind of started getting around the punk rock scene. And all of the Sky people were big into these guys. So, you know, they I think they're still big with that crowd and still oh, yeah. have that following out there. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they did some, some of their early stuff was definitely Sky. They have Sky influences. Uh, but Woody, the drummer, has said in interviews, we are not a Sky band. Really? especially their their older fans a lot of the british skinheads they're still adamant you know this is ska this is ska this is ska i'll be honest i am not a huge fan of a lot of the two-tone ska acts yeah madness being the exception because i think their music is a lot of fun but we'll talk about another uh another one of the two-tone ska acts that was also affiliated with them a little bit later on here What's your next song on your list? Oh, we're getting we're getting to we're getting to the favorites here now, Trey. Yes, and this is Hold Back the Rain by Duran Duran, and specifically the US mix. This song is from the album Rio, and it's from the U.S. mix of the album. There was two versions of this record, which I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of. There was the U.K. version, which didn't take off so well in the U.S., 
So later on that fall, they remixed a couple of songs. And I think they changed the track order, didn't they? I don't know if they did. I know they brought in David Kirschenbaum, didn't they? To I do the so. remixes? Yes, yes, yes. I don't think they reordered the tracks. I think the ones they reordered were on uh, the first album. Okay. Anyways, they, they re-released the album for American audiences that fall. And they remixed a couple of the tracks. And this one just, it, it's badass, you know, for lack of a better term. I'm with you on that. I was so happy, Trey, when I messaged you last night and I asked you which version you wanted and you said the U.S. <laughs> version. And I wrote back and said, good, you can stay on as co-host. <laughs> Some dedicated Duran Duran fan out there is probably going to get upset at me for saying this, but the U.S. version of Rio is the better version of the album in my book. I'm inclined to agree. The only song that I don't think is uh, the superior mix is, is actually hungry like the wolf the u.s remix of hungry like the wolf isn't quite as good but yeah i'm with you on that and it might just be that's what i'm used to because that's what i heard growing up let's talk about duran duran trey let's do yes because uh our, our mutual admiration for duran duran is kind of i think what initially brought brought you and me together here yep what attracted you or what what drew you to duran duran around this time I have an aunt who was about eight years older than me, and she gave me a copy of the Cassetta Rio at the beginning of summer of 82, which was the UK release. And, you know, at that point in time, no one, very few people here had any idea who they were because it wouldn't be till December of 82 when Hungry Like the Wolf would take off and, you know, get all over the place. So, you know, at that point in time, there were just some, some obscure band, but the album really just... I hate to keep saying this, but it was so futuristic sounding. All those synthesizers and sequencers in it and a, a drum machine on one song. It was just so different. And the lyrics are, I can't think of how to describe the lyrics on this album. They can be very out there at points. Yeah, Simon LeBond's lyrics can be a little obtuse. It was one of the great things about the band. You were like, what on earth are these guys singing about? And it just kind of added to that overall you know, they took their name from a science fiction movie, as we all know, and they just had such a science fiction element in their music. You know, overall, Nick Rhodes and his synthesizers are the yeah, what defined Duran Duran. So Duran Duran, for me, was my first, my first love. It really was. It was the first time that I found a band. And again, this is little eight-year-old Lori in a suburb of Chicago. And, you know, all my life listening to, you know, my mother's music, my stepfather's music, uh, occasionally my dad's music, you know, he was into the Beach Boys and stuff. And, you know, of course I liked what they listened to, but this was the first time I found a band by myself. You know what I mean? I and, know exactly what you mean. And I just immediately fell in love. So... The first time I actually heard Hungry Like the Wolf was on a, a, a local TV show here in Chicago. It was on NBC Channel 5. It was a Saturday show called Kidding Around. And it was like a, a, a talk show format, but it was intended for kids. And sometimes they would play a little bit of a song. And they played the instrumental intro to hungry like the wolf and it was you know the the longer um british lp version where they didn't even get to the lyrics until like two minutes in right and i remember thinking oh that that's different you know the, is the whole song do 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 <laughs> you know 
But when I first saw them on MTV and their beautiful hair and their clothes and the way they carried themselves, especially Simon. Simon was really my first crush. <laughs> he really was, you know, he kind of awakened something in me that uh, hadn't been awakened <laughs> before. You know what I mean? I mean, it's uh, it really was a. Uh, it was something else for me. Now I noticed so you and I both picked tracks off of Rio because Rio was such a, a seminal uh, album in 82. Yeah. But interestingly enough, both of us picked deep album tracks, right? So the singles off that album were hungry, like the wolf Rio save a prayer. And I believe the chauffeur was also considered a, a, a single. Well, they had a video I don't know if they put, did they ever put out like a 12 inch or a seven inch for that one or anything? Not like that? sure. I'm not sure. I'd have to look into that. But what led you to pick of all the tracks that you could have picked? What led you to pick Hold Back the Rain? Because it's just such a feel good song. Yeah, it's one of my driving in the car songs. I throw that one on. It just gets me going. Do you know the story about the song? I do not. So this was their second album, right? So they had been touring their first album and right. bassist John Taylor was kind of spiraling a little bit into drug use and maybe yeah. a little bit out of control. There was one night where I guess he like smashed his fist open on like a bottle or a light bulb or something, something glass. And um, Simon penned the lyrics and slipped them under John's hotel room door. It was a message to John. We're, we're miles away from nowhere, you know, and it was almost kind of like his, hey, John, we need you. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So, oh, I, I'm so obsessed with the band, I can tell you. Well, I mean, I know you are too, but I think you and I might be obsessed in slightly different ways because, you know, I'm like fangirl. That's one, I, you know, I, I know a lot of stories like that about them, but that's one I just wasn't aware of. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So there's some really good books. John Taylor wrote his memoir, which was, uh, what was it? Into the Pleasure Groove. That was good. Andy Taylor. I thought Andy Taylor's memoir was better. And I can't think of the title of it off the top of my head. I think it's called Wild Boy, isn't it? Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. There was also, I think, last year. You know, that 33 and a third book series, they finally released one on Rio last year. Ooh, I didn't know that. I'm going to have to get my hands on that and read it. That's such a great series, too, isn't it? Yes. I had that. You know, back in the night, I think it was in the late 90s, I had that series of DVDs about classic albums. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there one on Rio? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was. And as a matter of fact, uh, for our listeners in the U.S., that is available on demand on Amazon Prime Video. And they go into like, it's yeah. neat. It's so it's... neat because they they're isolating like different parts of like yeah. vocals and stuff. And one of the ones that they isolated that I just love is the song that I chose off this album. So nice segue there, Trey. All right. I chose New Religion.
I was going to say, this is a live staple for the band. And I think one of the, I, I saw them in 84, and this was one of the most powerful songs of the night. It is such a, oh my gosh, I don't know how to explain what this song does. I hear those opening synth notes that Nick plays, mm -hmm. and the hair on my arm starts to stand on end. And I guess that whole intro was completely improvised in the studio. I guess that that wasn't something that was planned out. But I love everything about this song. I love the atmosphere that that synth in the beginning sets up. I love John's bass, but I really love the juxtaposition of Simon singing over himself where yeah. it's like it's like this inner voice, right? It's like he, he's arguing with himself. It's almost like the angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other, you know, arguing. Don't know why this evil bothers me, you know? It's just, oh, it's so cool. There's just so many cool things going on here. So that's why I picked that song and not maybe one of the better known songs. It, it, it's definitely, I guess, what you would call a fan favorite. Yes. And like I just said, it, it's just stellar live because they speed it up just a little. Well, in 84, they did. They sped it up just a little bit live and it just absolutely rocked. So, so. The first time I got to see Duran Duran live, Trey, 2019 wow. was the first time I actually, I flew to Vegas to see them in Vegas and it was an absolute dream come true for me. And uh, I'm going to be seeing them again. They're coming to Chicago on August 20th and wow. I'm dragging hubby along. Now, m my husband is younger than me, so he doesn't know a lot of these 80s bands. He was born in 88. <laughs> so do you drive him crazy? You know, he he's claims I do, right? Like with Duran Duran. <laughs> but then, Trey, when I'm like reading in the middle of the night and he's on his computer or something, I'll, I'll hear the music on his playlist on his headphones and he'll be listening to Duran Duran. Oh, that's hilarious. That's or great. he'll be listening to In Excess, you that's know? That's great. So, of course, then I happen to look over his shoulder and it, <laughs> the playlist that he's got all this in is called Old Music. <laughs> that's what he calls it well for oh. him for him i imagine it is i hate when people do that i'm like it's not old well and most of that we're sitting here talking about albums that are 40 so what's next on your list trey mine is i want candy by bow wow wow Ooh, let's listen to that one This is another one that I yet again saw on HBO's video jukebox. And 
the look of the band, I mean, I have to be honest here, the singer, she's a very attractive lady. That was part of the attraction to the song. But, the, you know, they all had mohawks and, the, you know, the guy was playing the big rockabilly hollow dotty guitar. And I just thought it was great. I, you know, they didn't have much success beyond this. In fact, I, th I believe they split up shortly hereafter, didn't they? I, I think they probably did. So this was another Malcolm McLaren band, right? right, right? right. And he actually somehow split up Adam and the Ants. And yep. so the Ants became Bow Wow Wow. And uh, Annabella, I think, was like, she's like 13 or 14. I was going to say some controversy arose later on with her you know apparently some of their album covers were risque and it came to yeah. light that she was pretty young when they were photographed it, it, in the 80s maybe it didn't seem that strange but in retrospect it's like yeah it's a little bit creepy i mean i you know i had no idea that was you know 13 14 year old girl i thought she was in her 20s yeah and i think he discovered her at a dry cleaners i think she was working at a dry cleaners or I something weird that is like a that story yeah and she's where was she from? She was from like Czechoslovakia or someplace, wasn't she? She's Burmese, so she's from Burma. How old is she now while you're looking at that? So she was born in 66. Okay, so well, yeah, I guess she was about 14 then. Oh, well, 16 or 17. Yeah, in 1980, when they started off, yeah. she would have been 14. Yeah, right. My mom wouldn't let me buy the album. Oh, really? How come? Yeah, because of what's on the cover of it but it's definitely risque. And they had little stickers stuck on it that kind of... This is the last of the Mohicans, right? Yes, yes. So of all the Bow Wow Wow songs that I'm familiar with, I got to say, I Want Candy is my least favorite. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a cover of like a song from the 60s, isn't it? Yeah, which I, I didn't know till later. I had no idea at that point in time. I mean, come on. What, what guy is named Candy? Really? I mean, I, I I guess they were going for, you know, some kind of like gender bending aspect there. But I was going to say, are we sure she was singing to a guy? Well, she says when he's wrapped in a sweater. Oh, uh, yeah, right? right, he does. Right. You know, if that would have been really fascinating if it had been she. If if they'd kept would that, been... that would have been kind of cool and, and definitely controversial in 82. Yeah, I was going to say that would have been pretty radical. I, I like a lot of their other stuff. I mean, uh, C30, C60, C90 Go yeah. was fantastic. I think at one time, maybe maybe years ago, Trey, you and I were out chatting about, in one of the Facebook groups, about the movie called Scandalous with Sir John Gielgud. And Bow Wow Wow was in it. Now, this was 84, so this hadn't happened yet in 82. Sir John Gielgud is all dressed up in, like, leather and looking like he's you know going to go to a gay biker bar and he's actually going to a bow wow wow concert and he says you know oh they're my favorite punk band which i thought was really cool and i remember they performed a song called where's my snake and that was a fun song too <laughs> of all their songs though i can see why you know i want candy is definitely the most poppy and so i can see why it was the most popular here in the u.s but that's also probably why I don't like it. it. You know, oddly, that was the only song I knew by them until later on in the 80s. And I was able to get, you know, more of their records and stuff and learn more, you know, yeah. explore their catalog. Yeah. Just, you know, it's a great video. Let's just put it this way. There's a lot of nice things to look at in that video. <laughs> but, you know, they were pushing that so much back then. It was all about the eye candy. Yeah, You know, I think... 
looking back, I mean, I had a mohawk throughout college. And actually, when I started teaching, uh, I had a blue mohawk, which, you know, my, my college students thought was a little strange. But I think Annabella was the first woman that I can remember seeing with a mohawk. And she was just absolutely freaking gorgeous. She was for sure the first woman I would have ever seen with a mohawk. So the next song I chose, It Ain't What You Do, It's The Way That You Do It, which is by Fun Boy 3 featuring Bananarama. Now, I think American audiences probably know who Bananarama is. They might not know who Fun Boy 3 is. So, well, originally there was a, a two-tone ska band called The Specials. Mm-hmm. And Terry Hall, Neville Staple, and Linval Golding left the specials to form Fun Boy 3. Yep. Now, I got to tell you, I don't like the specials. I don't care for them. Me either. I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail from my stateside madness <laughs> people. But I love Fun Boy 3. I really, really do. So here is It Ain't What You Do, It's The Way That You Do It. Speaking of cover songs, I know we talked about Bow Wow Wow was a cover of the song from the 60s. It was originally done in 1939 by oh, wow. Jimmy Lunsford and his orchestra. I had no idea. Ella Fitzgerald did a cover of it. And I think hers is probably the most well-known version. So this is kind of a fun spin on it. I like the interplay between... The three girls, the three guys, the kind of playful lyric. Any any thoughts on Fun Boy 3 or Bananarama, Trey? You know, this is a song that I'm just totally not familiar with at all. Okay. I, obviously, I've seen people talking about it and such over the years, and I've heard it a time or two, but it just, they did, it didn't get any airplay where I was at the time and, you know, had no idea it existed probably till the 90s. Well, I, I had a five CD set. Now, granted, this was later, but it's called Living in Oblivion. I had that. Okay. Because uh, a, a lot of the songs that are on those discs, I think, were, were bigger in the UK than they were here. Funboy 3 also had a cover of Our Lips Are Sealed. I was aware of that one. Terry Hall from Funboy 3 actually co-wrote yeah. Our Lips Are Sealed with Jane Weedlin. And the American version, the, the Go-Go's version was big in America, rather. And if you go over to the UK, they don't know the Go-Go's right, version. Right. They know the Fun Boy 3 version. Okay, so what's next on your list? The Motel's Only Lonely. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a great song. We walked the loneliest mile we smile without any style we kiss all together wrong no intention 
this is uh, this is when I do a karaoke quite often. I love Martha Davis. There's that one note at the end that I can mm -hmm. never hit, though. She is such a fantastic <laughs> singer. I mean, she is amazing. Yeah, you know, I always love this video with its film noir look to it. Mm -hmm. Which at that point in time, I was discovering all that stuff via uh, TBS, which was, you know, that, you know, they showed a lot of old movies back then and they would show those things early in the morning. I was loving them to death. And this video comes out and looks like one of those movies. And it's just such a great song, too. I think I was probably very lonely in summer of 82 as well. Aww. I kind of got cast to the side due to my sister's birth and, you know, but it was all in fun. You know, I had a blast that summer when I think back on it. Well, that's good. Yeah, this is another example of a band where the record label kept messing with them and forcing them to do things they didn't want to do after they had, you know, they had this pair of hits there in 82 and they kind of made them do like more of an album oriented rock type of LP and it broke the band up. Oh, like, I didn't know that. 586, yeah. Yeah, the record label kept messing with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I do know, and uh, this would come a few years later, but I do know that Martha Davis is one of the three most important people in the world in the future in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I completely forgot it. Wow. I, yeah. You know, I haven't seen that movie in a very long time, but yeah. Such a, such a great movie. And you remember who the other two I most sure. important people are? It's probably been 10 years since I've watched that movie. I need to watch it again. Okay. So Fee Waybill of the Tubes and Clarence the Big Man Clemens. So if you watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure again, the scene where they find themselves in the future, the three people that are sitting kind of on thrones that are floating, they're the three most important people in the world. And Martha Davis is, uh, is sitting on our left. No, I'm going to go ahead and be honest. I'm not sure I even noticed that. No? I don't think. It doesn't name her, does it? She's named in the credits. But it doesn't say this, you know, in the movie. No. It doesn't no. point out right. So that's no, I... they don't. And, and, and you know, I think it's one of those where I think they're counting on fans to maybe notice right, or like right. it's a cameo kind of right. thing. But Clarence Clemens stands out. He's recognizable. Yeah. Oh, he's he... like, it's you. You know, he booms out in his big voice. He had delved into a little bit of acting beforehand, hadn't he? Oh, I don't know, had he? I, I don't know. I'm asking you. So I, I think it probably didn't seem strange to me to see him sitting there, and I just didn't notice the others. Okay. Fee Waybill is, is on the right side, and Martha Davis is on the left side. I'm going to have to rewatch that All probably right. later this week. That's going to be your homework, Trey. All righty. <laughs> okay, so now speaking of female vocalists, not just female vocalists, this is an all-female band, The Go-Go's. We mentioned them a little bit earlier. But 82, their big song was Vacation, off of the album Vacation. Let's listen.
Okay, so that was actually a reworking of a song from Kathy Valentine's first band, The Textones. Yes, I was aware of that. Yeah, and they added the the chorus, Vacation, All I Ever Wanted. But this was their second album, and I think that some uh, strain was starting to show within the band. Oh, I think for sure. Yeah. There was a little bit of a division, yeah? I think they had that sophomore slump fear going on, too. Yeah, and if you read, again, uh, a few of the band members have written memoirs. Yep. There, there were kind of two factions forming, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, Belinda being the uh, the front person and and you know yeah there there was there was some strife there so so happy to see them inducted last year into the yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of great. Fame they they deserved it they totally deserved it well deserved they yep. are the first all female act to write their own songs yep. to reach number 1 in the US yep so that song, I had to be there. Summer of '82, vacation. It was a smash. Oh yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. And the video. Yeah. Right, and you could tell the girls were yeah. a little bit drunk, so they were doing the scenes where they're water skiing, kind of like you know the Tommy Bartlett. Yeah. You know, and and it's all obviously on a green screen, but oh my gosh, you can tell they're they're a little bit tipsy. Yeah, I've read that story. It's fun to watch. But I've read in you know later later years that tour the ensuing tour was a drunken and drug-addled mess for them. Yeah, there's even some footage out there that appears on YouTube from time to time when they were opening for the police of them backstage and they're pretty pretty drunk. Yeah, there were some some things done and said that I I think <laughs> they would later later come to regret. I saw something once where Belinda was talking about it. And she just kind of laughed about it. And she was just, you know, she was like, well, I was pretty young. And, you know, what can I say? Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, we all did stupid shit when we were young. I mean, if I'd have been in a band and went on tour back then, it's probably the exact same type of antics I would have gotten into myself. So, but, you know, they made it through it. Okay. So uh, after vacation, what's next? Roxy Music Avalon. Now the party's over I'm so tired Then I see you coming Out of nowhere Much communication In emotion Without conversation Or a notion influential Roxy music. Yes. Duran Duran inducted them into the Rock yep, and Roll Hall yep. of Fame, right? Yeah. So tell us about Avalon, Trey. I had no idea the history of the band at the time I heard this song. And in 82, it became a minor hit and got some air. Even here down in Augusta, Georgia, where I was, it got some airplay and I loved it. Got the album, loved the entire album. And, you know, like I said, I had no idea they were such an influential band to so many other bands at the time. Was this their last album together before they split up? Or I believe so. Okay. Yeah, that, that is a really, really good choice, though. 
such a great album. You know, yeah. Brian Ferry is his solo work is amazing. Oh, I love his solo yeah. work. Yeah. His style and everything. And they're one of those bands that I wish I could see live and I always manage to miss them when they do one of their little reunions. But they do those little six city tours and I'm like, right. come on, man. Right. Okay, well, my last song, we're coming towards the end here. We each picked 10 songs. My last song from the summer of 82 was Steppin' Out by Joe Jackson. This was all over MTV in 82. Let's listen. Another one of the songs that has made it onto my husband's old songs playlist. Well, very cool. It's a great song. You know, and and Joe Jackson had been around since the late 70s, and he really was kind of this post-punk alternative performer. But around this time, I think he started getting into more like synthy soundy keyboards. You know, you have that kind of synth pulsing beat behind his piano here. And it's funny because when I played it for my husband for the first time, he heard it and said, what video game is that from? It, it to him sounded like, you know, video game music. I can kind of, I can see that. that. It does have that sort of, yeah. it does have that to it. But it, it's, it's just such a beautiful song. You know, I think he wrote it after being in New York and just kind of the excitement of, you know, going out into the city and, and, and experiencing everything that New York has to offer. And it really, you know, even if you don't know that it's about New York, it's just, it's got such an urban. Mm-hmm. It, it totally does. Yeah. And, and, and carries that excitement through. It, it's, I, I know exactly where you're coming from with that. It's such a hip and stylish song. It just makes you, like you said, it gives you a big city vibe. Yeah. 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 Okay, so what's your last song, Trey? My last song is Red Skies at Night by The Fit. You know, they are one of the most criminally underrated bands in history. I mean, they just, uh, you know, they're bigger here than they are in their home country of England. Really? 
Really? Yes, I think most of them even live here now due to it. You know, this is an anti-nuclear war song. And it's, you know, again, The Fix are one of those bands. And still, to this day, they have such a huge science fiction element in their music. And it just, you know, it grabbed me as soon as I heard it. And the album is fantastic from start to finish. Well, so uh, we had one other song that we talked about, about nuclear war, um, I Melt With You. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the context there for that? So 82, you know, uh, younger listeners might not really fully appreciate oh, yeah. how terrified we were as children at the idea that nuclear war could happen at any moment. I mean, I remember my teachers at the Catholic mm -hmm. school were always talking about, you know, how Russia, the United States, it was going to happen any day now. I mean, it, it would keep me awake at night. I was so scared. I know some schools actually had nuclear fallout drills. Yes, we didn't hear. But yeah, I've, I've met people who had to go through that, get under their desk. Yeah, duck and cover. Like a lot of good that's going to do in the yeah. event of a nuclear blast, you know, duck under your desk. But I guess they had to feel like they were doing something, right? Yeah, and of course, they're like in 84 and 85, all those nuclear war scare movies came out it's red dawn and uh the day after yeah yeah but, yeah you know, that was a tv miniseries and it scared everybody to death i think that one was 85 even the mad max movies weren't they uh taking place after a nuclear apocalypse it never it it, it, it alludes to it it never quite comes out and says it but yeah so i mean this was uh, a a recurring theme yes. in a lot of art not just music but like you mentioned movies television um i mean it was it was a very real fear and so at least for me in 89 when the berlin wall came down yeah. it was more than just you know hooray you know no communism right it was almost like this this knife that had been held to our throats that fear got lifted off of everyone and it seemed like anything could happen at that point it yep. seemed like anything was possible i mean that was you know in retrospect i think a lot of it was downhill after that but um, <laughs> I, I would have to agree with you there but that's a topic for another podcast i think yep so i guess this concludes our first episode thank you so much for listening Trey, thank you for doing this with me. How was it? You survived. I was a little nervous, but I got through it. And thank you for asking me to do it. I've, yeah. I've, been, over, I've been over the moon all week about it. Oh, that's so cool. Well, uh, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. So oh, for the time being, we're counting on doing this every other week. Right. Or um, fortnightly for you, <laughs> you Brits over there. So, Trey, what are we going to do for our next episode in two weeks? I think then? We're going to just move right into 1983. Okay. Several of the bands we mentioned in this episode went on to some massive success in 83. On behalf of myself and Trey, we'd like to thank you for listening. Please do check us out on social media. We are Accelerated Culture Podcast on Facebook. On Twitter, we are XL Culture, A C C E L Culture. And our email address is acpodcast at hotmail.com. If you like what you hear, please drop us a line. Thank you. And we hope to have you back with us in two weeks.